0: you're listening to the running public
1: from marathoners to mud runners
0: we all have the same goal get to the finish line faster that's right this podcast is for you guys the running public I just want to jump into this thing or what might as well. Yeah. Jess, where are you at right now?
2: I'm in Calgary, Canada.
0: Calgary's a good place. I've yeah. been there maybe like a half a dozen times in my years, and I really like Calgary.
2: Oh, ah, nice. Cool.
0: Yeah. You have the mountains right there, although mm-hmm. I don't think you take advantage of those often, do you?
2: Oh, I do, of course. I hike you a lot. Yeah. Even just going out for dinner or something, it's nice just to get out there.
0: <laughs> Faye, you don't know anything about being able to go out to dinner, do you, in New York?
3: No, I haven't been out for dinner in ages. <laughs> <laughs> I tell
2: everyone that Calgary's Where Cool Runnings was filmed. So <laughs> it always puts it on the map.
0: That's as good of a claim to fame as any.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: And the movie Fargo was really filmed here in Minneapolis, which is not quite as a claim to fame, but it's close. I <laughs> have you guys seen that movie?
2: I yeah. have, yeah. But the TV show Fargo is filmed in Calgary, actually. That's funny.
0: You guys have it all.
1: Yeah, that one's on my to-do list. Is uh, is the episode version of Fargo worth watching?
3: I haven't watched it. I don't like creepy uh. things. <laughs> I know. I, anytime anyone brings up movies, I'm like, "Yep, haven't seen it." I like have seen probably like twenty movies in my entire life. <laughs>
1: twenty in your entire life?
3: Well, maybe that's an exaggeration, but I don't. I don't know. I I can't get into movies, shows. I don't know. I don't maybe have bad ADD or whatever. I just can't focus.
1: What have you done during quarantine?
3: <laughs> Try to make us money. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> 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 Trying to survive in
0: this city.
2: No, it Faith, it's because you're not hurt enough. I, I just, I watched pure trash when I'm on the elliptical or on the, the bike. It's awesome. That's
0: so true. Being heard is the best thing for like your TV watching. Yeah. It's so true. What, what you are you injured right now?
2: Uh, I'm coming off of an injury. So the first chunk of like quarantine time was spent on my cross trainers.
0: Really? What happened?
2: Um, I had a, a partial Achilles tear in February. Oh, related ca- to the Achilles pain. I'm so sorry, Bracken, that your uh, wife is dealing with it. <laughs>
1: yeah, hers is minor. Okay,
2: just good, minor. Good.
0: <laughs> well, I just want to ask that right away. Um, I'm super curious then. So the Olympics are supposed to be happening and you were supposed to be running in them. Mm-hmm. Would What would that have looked like right now based on your injury if the Olympics were still going forward? Like, what would you have done?
2: Well, I, I don't really know. I think about that a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. I... I'm kind of the queen of like really quick comebacks. Like I've had my running career has been like catastrophic injury back to like IAAF qualifying time two weeks after coming back to like land training that sort of thing. Like I'm I am really good at cross training. <laughs> like I'm very proud that I'm really good at cross training. Um, it's taken years to perfect. Um, then I get hurt again, so there it's like maybe a net zero. But I do still make these teams and stuff where I have um, most of the time it's worked out. Um, so I wasn't discounting like some sort of grandiose comeback in the, in the spring, but I think it would have been, it would have been really stressful. It would have been a lot of, of course, a lot of work. Everything's a lot of work, but it would have been a grind. And so this extra time has definitely relieved like that pressure, the weight of a piano off my shoulders.
0: Wow. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that you were, you were hurt. Bracken and I, um, have been having our injury snafus. Clearly, Faye, you're the only one who can stay healthy in this this group. We and we talk. I talk specifically, and this wasn't the intent to jump into right away, but just since mm-hmm. we're on it. Um, I think I can come off of injury in fantastic shape. It's about like keeping your foot to the flame and doing real purposeful work when you're injured. Mm -hmm. So that when you can start to run again, at least you've been stoking those energy systems. And sure it takes a couple of weeks to work the kinks out, but you can get back into like good running and racing pretty quick. So I just want to ask you right away then. So like, what do you do that makes you queen of cross training, how how, does that formula look? So
2: I actually wrote uh, like an ebook on it. (laughs) If you want to read it, it might help you. It's called the backup plan. Um, it's on runbackupplan.com. I just did it as a, a mostly like, I know too much about this. I need to share it with other people because being hurt sucks. And and you always hear these stories of people who come back from injuries and cross training and they're better than ever. And that's great. I'm glad it's possible. But how? <laughs> that's, that's what drove me absolutely bad is how do they do it? There's no information on how an elite runner has come back from something like catastrophic and been in the shape of their lives. And so through years of trial and error, guess and check, and equals one, um, I've sort of made a plan and I've learned a lot about what works with cross training and what doesn't. So I structure my cross training weeks the way I would a running week. So it's still polarized. So so some workouts are hard, very hard, <laughs> and others are meant to be recovery days or off days. In the past, I do interval workouts every day because I figured, well, swimmers, do intervals every day, cyclists do swimmer or, or intervals every day. Uh, and then I found that that's not great for for me or for runners because we're not used to that. And mm-hmm. I, I found myself getting quite burnt out.
0: Brecken, um, didn't, didn't we just have a conversation about this before uh, before we hopped on? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's the exact thing. I've been injured and in the theory is if you're not running, Like you can go on the bike and pound every day. Like your body can adapt. It's not Mm -hmm. impact. And I just had my coming to Jesus week this last (laughs) week. I've been pounding the shit out of the bike. Yeah. And now I'm in the dirt. Like I just can't get out of it. And I Mm -hmm. realized like I'm not following the polarized training principle I would if Mm -hmm. I were running. So uh, this is timely for me anyways. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Continue. I'm still curious. (laughs) you,
2: You need to remember with pounding like for hours and hours and hours and hours on the bike is that biking's not running. So you don't want to, to turn yourself into a cyclist. <laughs> and,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: so I think if possible, it's really good to incorporate a variety of cross training so that you don't become really, really, really good at, at one thing that's not running <laughs> if your goal mm-hmm. is to run. And also to build into it slowly because it is a new stress on the body and injuries happen when new new demands are placed on it. So just because you're not loading doesn't mean you can just hop into something crazy And then finally remembering that energy used during cross training is energy that's not going towards healing. So there's a famous story of an athlete that my coach coached very, very good. She'd made a world championship track team and she got a stress fracture in her navicular, which is a bone in your foot. So like leading up to world, she was in the pool all the time doing these workouts and six or eight weeks later when she went for another bone scan, nothing had healed like her her foot showed zero healing in spite of being in a boot the whole time and doing everything right. She did everything right. And basically she had worked so hard that there wasn't energy for her body to heal, <laughs> which it's like such a tragic mistake. So she missed worlds. She took a, do- a step back, healed, went on with her career. It was fine, but sucks.
3: Yeah. I also, I think that like a lot of people screw up their cross training because they're so emotional about it because they're so angry about an injury that they're almost mm-hmm. using it, not even for training, but just to like blow off anger and steam. And I think that becomes like a dangerous thing. Um, they're unable to look at it through like a purely training standpoint. It's like they're looking at it like I'm so pissed about this injury. I don't want to gain weight. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And they just go crazy on it
2: yeah sometimes i think it's actually a really good thing to get a little bit detrained because you hold yourself back when you're coming back from an injury and i'm definitely being a victim of this a lot um i come back so fit that i can go to worlds or i can go to the olympics that's great but then i'm hurt again because you end up getting basically a ferrari engine in a shitty chevy cab, 2003 edition <laughs> <laughs> body which is my car
3: so i can say that but,
0: You like your car analogies, Brad. I love car analogies.
1: That's a good one. I'm adding that one to the book. Just, I I have a question for you, actually.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So I had
1: a conversation with an athlete yesterday about this very thing, and they were saying, like, I'm just feeling so – I was feeling so good on cross-training, but I'm just, like, overcome by fatigue right now. And it's killing me because I just – to get my heart rate up in the zone I want to work at while cross-training, it's just so Mm -hmm. hard. And and my takeaway was – All right we got to stop that then we got to throw out our heart rate zones while cross training because without impact and fighting gravity and and uh, actual like brunt trauma on your body the heart rate zones don't correlate the way they would while running but they said well i read phil maffetone's book and he talks about with math training on that high-end aerobic training that you do the same zones whether you're in the pool on the bike or on the run so i That didn't fly by me, but there is a well known professional coach and author who has published statements saying that that is how to go. What would your take be on that, being the cross training expert?
2: (laughs) Well, I really like using heart rate zones when I cross train, but, um, and I like doing it because it keeps me accountable. Like I know that I'm doing enough and I'm not doing too much. And I find it really motivating to be like, yeah, my heart rate's high. Like I'm getting something out of this. But I agree with you, the zones need to be recalibrated to the, to the modality. So your heart rate won't be as high biking because you're not working against gravity and you're only using your legs. So your heart rate is a function of how much blood is going through your body and what muscles are being used. But if you're only using your legs, your heart rate's not going to get as high. And that's fine. So you, they're different zones than your running zones would be. And same with the water. The hydrostatic pressure of the water literally pushing against your body helps with Venus return. It lowers your heart rate. So mm-hmm. if you're, if you're trying to get a heart rate of, I don't know, 150, and it's 150 in the pool, the equivalent effort on the land is probably 160, 170. And that's, that's a different effort. So I think it's good to, to establish new zones for every like, different sort of cross training that you do. And they're individual, they're just like, okay, this feels hard. This is probably what this is this is probably Mm -hmm. what this is or really use rpe because it it is a good guide you do know if you're working hard or if you're not yeah
0: well i think we should introduce what we're doing here today quickly because i think that's important you i actually want to dive down this like cross-training tangent with you a little (laughs) more still but um so today we're talking to jess o'connell and Faith stenning um, Faye, you've been on our show before. You've been very supportive of the podcast. We'd love you for that. Can you introduce Jess to us, Faye? Like, why is Jess on this podcast? Who is she, and who is she to you?
3: Oh, I'm so happy to introduce Jess because uh, Jess is so modest and she would do a crappy job. <laughs> <laughs> about herself. So yeah, Jess is uh, two thousand and sixteen. Um, Olympian, but more importantly, she's one of my good friends. Um, We grew up together and we are business partners now with our coaching business, Grit Coaching. So um, Jessica, um, basically our history kind of started like um, I was this high school phenom and I thought I was the shit. And then this little Jessica comes along and takes all my high school records and just smokes me. Um, So I was kind of always in Jessica's light for the rest of my running career until I decided I couldn't handle being in her light anymore and I'll just quit running and become an obstacle course racer. Um, So, yeah, she's um, um, we went to school in kinesiology for a few years before she went to the States to um, run. But, yeah, she's been sort of chasing this dream of the Olympics for years now. Um, She's a total inspiration because she's like – always injured like always injured but somehow like always makes these comebacks um which is like the opposite of me i seem to be someone who is like never injured but never conceived to pull it together so i've always been like jess how do you you know how do you how do you get to where you are with having all these setbacks so she's just really really mentally tough and resilient when it comes to um just you know being that um sort of being that pinnacle of what an elite athlete needs to do to maintain um, motivation and determination to continue coming back after setback and setbacks. So um, yeah, she was getting geared up for the 2020 Olympics. um, And obviously that's not happening. Um, but she's like crazy fast. So I just want to like throw these times out to the OCR world in ways that they might um, understand, because I think some people don't under understand pacing in the OCR world. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to make it really, really simple. Um, Jessica has a 1506 5k, um, which is just over three minutes and one second point something per kilometer, which per mile is, I don't know, but it's under five minutes.
0: Well, let's just put this into perspective real quick. Sorry. R- Ryan Kent trained for years, our last guest, to break 15 in the 5K, and he never did. So Jess O'Connell is as quicker, quicker than Ryan Kent, who is quicker. a pro Spartan athlete. Quicker. Right. Okay. Continue. Quicker. No, I'm yeah. Think, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. Um, exactly. So if you're curious of what that pace is um, I do this all the time at the end of my interval sessions is I go on the treadmill and I try and hold Jessica's five case, which is level 13 on the treadmill. And, uh, I challenge everyone to try and hold that for a minute. And this girl holds it for 15. So, um, yeah, she's just truly, um, exceptional. And I just think, um, yeah, I think she's great to talk to you guys now, especially, because her big dream that she's been preparing for, not for six months, not for three weeks, but for four years, has been taken away. And I think that's relatable yeah. to the OCR community.
1: Yeah. And, and that's a perfect intro. And and Faye and I talked on the phone prior about this. And I, Faye, if you don't mind, I want to repeat what you said. You said we got a little bit of flack a couple episodes ago. Um, people thought we were kind of grandstanding with our t- talking about our training paces or the most recent race or interval workout we did, putting our times out there. And our response really quickly was, oh, no, no, we're not fast. We're just saying our time so you guys can relate. If we're doing intervals at three minutes per kilometer, and then we do our easy runs at 4.30 per kilometer, you can start seeing some correlation of mm-hmm. how people should be training. And people are like, oh, don't humble braid, You guys are fast. Like, we want to show and face that this is the perfect time to show that, no, when we say we're not fast, that there are levels to this, this is what one of those levels looks like. My 5k PR is not faster than Jess's. And I'd be willing to bet that our 1500 times are pretty similar and I'm considered quote unquote, like one of the faster milers in the sport. And I think it would be like, Jess would be tracking me down, down the home stretch (laughs) as we, as we close down a race. So we really want to show that a, there are levels to running on this podcast, but there are also levels to what gets taken away from us during these times. We have a lot of people out there who are floundering because their A race just got removed. But zero people in the sport of OCR had the Olympics removed. Like, oh, West Virginia's canceled or Palmerton's canceled. Well, you didn't put four years into that, and your federation didn't help support you or hold a place only because you've hit certain times to get there. Like there are some there are levels to disappointment as well. And Jess's insight on how a professional takes their mindset and changes their goals and changes what they're going to do to prepare. I think it builds nicely off this What the Pros Do series that we've been doing, but I think people need to understand that just because your personal world crumbles doesn't mean you just throw in the towel. Because your world has not crumbled to the extent that an Olympian's world crumbled when you have one shot every
0: four years. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. So Jess, let's let's give you a chance to speak then. So what would you add to Faye's uh, very uh, alluring um, intro to you? Did she miss anything?
2: Uh, well, I will say that so Faye and I went to junior high school and high school together. And I wasn't really a runner in junior high school. So Faye was the star. And in high school as well. I didn't start running with a club until grade 11. So my junior year of high school. Wow. And So which I guess is late. Um, Per se, I grew up doing Irish dancing, so that was my big thing. You should see the size of my calves. They're still quite impressive. (laughs) But but I remember the first time Faye invited me for a run, I was so intimidated because she was the star. And I thought of every excuse to not go, but there was no excuse, really. I was just scared (laughs) because she was also extremely popular and very nice and had it all. And I was like, oh, my God, why does she want to run with me? So (laughs) we did a loop around the neighborhood because we actually grew up pretty close to each other, too. And I think we did it in 45 minutes or something. I haven't run it in under like 55 since then because we just hammered (laughs) each other. Because I was like, I got to keep up. I got to keep up with the star. And she was like, Why is this girl running so fast? Like, why why would she bug off? I'm trying to assert my dominance here. So I just kept on trying to drop her. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Faye. Thanks for our first friendly run. I appreciate Mm -hmm. you trying to drop. I have a really, really good track coach, so he recognized that I had done a time trial the day before with Faye. When at the next day, when I was at practice, and so I think my workout that day was a couple strides. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, and then I remember the first time I ever beat Faye in the race in our race was our um, high school provincial championships. So like our state champs, and. <laughs> This was really when I was like blossoming into a runner. So I was certainly on the upswing and we ran the 1500 and I set a provincial record in that race. I was like, okay, um, my life's different now. I'm actually good at running. I had literally no idea and I'd beaten Faye and I was like, oh no, oh no, I dethroned the queen. What do I do? What do I do? And I was so scared of how she'd react because that was, that was her that I kind of hid. <laughs> and then 15 minutes later, after cool downs and stuff, I saw her, and she she came downing at me, and she's like, "Jess, Jess, this is the best! Now we can train together. You're at my level. We can we're gonna have such a fun summer of racing, and and this and that, and this and that, and this and that." And so, uh, you have a very know, good
1: pay impression.
3: <laughs> but,
2: <laughs> I'm a throttle excitability. <laughs> so it was that's sort of what running is—is is having. Competitors that are also really, really awesome friends, and I'm sure it's the same in in OCR that there's a lot of mutual respect, but there's also a ton of fun to be had.
0: <laughs> so let's um wait who so on that temp that race uh, time trial you guys did together, how did that end up?
2: In our like our first easy run.
0: Yeah, your first easy in quotes run. Who? Well, well how did I that think we happen?
3: finished side by side. But <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, we totally we totally finished side by side, and I think I was just like. I kind of knew at that point that I was in trouble. I was like, oh crap. Um, it's not going to be the phase show anymore. <laughs> what? Um, so yeah. What's that
1: term Nicole uses? A quality easy day?
3: Yeah, quality easy day. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, honestly, um, I trained and uh, just quickly about what Nicole's about quality easy days. And I think what Kirk and Bracken and Jeff, we all agree on is this concept of polarization. And, um, Jessica knows this, um, like, you know, from years and years of not training that way, like I used to hammer every single run and like, sometimes I still feel like I'm like still almost feeling tired from just the years and years and years of just high heart rate anaerobic kick yourself to the ground every single session. Like I do think if I understood polarized training back then and my coaches for sure were trying to tell me to run slower, run slower, run slower, like they would take my watches away. So I couldn't see paces. And, um, I really think I would, yeah, I would maybe be less tired now, or I would, or I would feel like I'd want to run for, you know, well into my thirties and for have more longevity is kind of what I'm saying. So um, it's just interesting. Um, the stuff you do back then, like, it, you know, you still kind of hold on to it as an athlete um, further down the road.
0: Faye, you would be a really good candidate for like, because you've been grinding forever, I feel like. And you're pretty open about that because you were a prodigy at a young age, speaking to what Jess said. You're probably one of those right now, like if you wanted to really, and I'm just speaking off the cuff like look at like next season, you'd be better suited taking two months off of any working out right now and getting chubby and feeling like shit about yourself and then coming back to training, like craving it again. I feel like, cause you've gone for how many decades of training? Like 15, 20 yeah, years of yeah. endurance training. Uh, I, I go back and forth in that. Robert Killian in our sports speaks about how after Iceland two years ago, he was so smoked. He took three months off of running. And what does he do? He comes back and becomes the world champ mm-hmm. after three months yeah. of no running which is just crazy. Anyways, it's just a side note uh, on that. I just think it's interesting.
2: I saw that a lot in my teammates after the Olympics where people were really, really cooked and would take Mm -hmm. a lot of time off. And those that did come back who still wanted to continue were fine. They were fine the next year. I think burnout and it's, it's all mental. So if you, if you, if the grind becomes taxing, then then you need to step back and take a break, and that's what Faye has been doing. Is she's not approaching training with the same vigor and intensity as she would if this was last year. Um, but she's doing stuff like I'm sorry, Faye, I'm speaking for you, so you can you can correct me. But you're you're doing stuff that keeps you happy, but isn't the mental grind that that would lead to a burnout.
3: Exactly. No, Jessica's exactly right. I'm doing things like that. I don't normally give my permission, myself permission to do. Okay. I'll say this on the podcast. You know what I have been doing? I've been training easier and I hope Nicole doesn't take this the wrong way, but I've been doing a lot of workouts. Nicole does, which I think I could never get fast off because they're not hard enough. Um, Like I've been doing, I did six by three minutes, which like is a really easy workout for me. Like I usually do Mm -hmm. so much more volume than that. Um, so if this whole thing works and I come back in your better shape, I might never go back to some of the really, really, really hard shit that I used to, uh, I used to do. I hope that's the case, but yeah, Jess is right. I've just been, you know, kind of doing things that are fun for me. So it's been nice.
1: That'll be fun to, to kind of see what comes out of this.
3: Mm -hmm. It was a total experiment.
1: Yeah. And you have the time that if eight, 12 weeks down the road, you realize I'm stagnating, you can always get back to what you want, but you also have enough time to be like, all right, I'm still hitting numbers that I shouldn't be hitting mentally, but I am. So maybe I'm gonna keep this train rolling for a little bit.
2: Yeah, and Morris knows better. Like if she's subbing I mean, this six by three minutes I assume is pretty intense. So it's just it's a different style of training. It's not necessarily less, it's just a different style. <laughs>
0: yeah. So Jess- you- oh, go ahead. No, you all you, Bracken.
1: I-, I was gonna take us back a little way. So if you had a point to make off that, rock with it.
0: Um no, I just wanted to piggyback off your intro and say you know Jess you get the phone call that the olympics are not happening i just i want to go back in time and get to know you a bit but i just want to jump right to the the glaringly obvious situation you're in and that is you come to the realization that what you've been dreaming and thinking and working towards for four whole damn years is taken away from you in an instant that realization comes to be and what Happens like where is your head at?
2: Well, it wasn't quite that dramatic, and just as I don't think that the Spartan race cancellation was really that dramatic, because if if you've been reading the news and whatnot, like we saw it coming to mm-hmm. a point. So of there's so. some some low key like okay, I think that something's gonna happen. Something's like like sort of preparing myself for <laughs> a bomb to drop, essentially, uh, and then it did, and so it wasn't this tremendous shock, but. I think I mean, I have had tremendous shocks before with injuries, like a lot of my injuries have been pretty acute. Like, oh, I'm fine. One day, the next day, my Achilles is torn. The next day, I've been hit by a car. The next day, I have collided with an athlete at practice. and Now I have a concussion like that. All those things have happened. <laughs> and, um, and that sudden gutting, just taking away of a competition is like, like, I won't sugarcoat it. It, it is it's grief. It's like, okay, like this is, this is different. I wasn't expecting this. And I really, I really equate the cancellation of the Spartan races or the Olympics with, with an injury because it's basically something has been taken away from you. It was out of your control to a large part. And now you have to do whatever you can to do the best that you can with like what you've been given. And it's, it's, it's not easy. It's not, it's not easy, but what I have learned, and I think one of the reasons why this wasn't like, oh my God, like what now, like existential crisis level disturbance is, I do have experience with these injuries and coping and bouncing back and resilience and whatnot. And it's something that can be built. So like going through this and having goals removed and changing and all that, and trying to now figure out what the heck you're gonna do with yourself. it it makes you mentally stronger or at least it it gives you coping mechanisms for when something similar to this happens next time.
0: And I mean, what are your options really, right? Exactly. What are your options really? So that first week then after it was official, of course, you were prepping yourself for that news in some capacity for months leading up. Um, What do you do that first week? You show right back up to the track on Tuesday and get to work or do you throw yourself a pity party so you can move on further? Like, what did you do that following week after it was officially uh, announced that the Olympics were no longer happening?
2: I I mean, I, neither, <laughs> kind of, kind of those <laughs> are extreme things. I, think that I immediately grabbed some ice cream or some candy. I didn't train that day. I was like, oh, this is just a lot. I, I don't really feel like it. That's okay. And so for the next week, my training was a little bit more emotion-based. Like, okay, like, I think that today I should cross-train. It's probably, like, I gotta, I don't want to turn into a bag of garbage. Like, let's do something. I feel like moving my body, but I didn't really feel like doing intensity. I didn't feel like pushing myself very hard. So that was okay that was fine. So I didn't, I didn't show up with like great vigor because that would be faking it. And I think that it's an emotional time and you shouldn't force yourself to do things that you don't like, that you're not ready for right away. But I also didn't just like sit because I like moving and I I don't want to get completely 120% unfit because to me, training isn't, it's not just for the games. I train because I love to train. And even if the games aren't happening, hopefully other races will, or maybe, I don't know, I'm not sure if I'm really a time trial person, but maybe I will be, or I want to be capable to train with my teammates and I want to be capable to do easy runs with them. And when opportunities arise again, I want to be within striking distance so that I can pivot and get, very very ready
1: yeah i like that a lot of people right now are in one of two camps a they've immediately identified a new goal that they're going to go after or Mm -hmm. b they have nothing on the docket whatsoever and the the people who've identified a new goal um, whether it's a band-aid or not they're starting to move towards whatever they're doing with purpose again but that second camp something i'm hearing a lot of i'm assuming you guys have heard a lot too is well you know maybe around like September, October, maybe January, I'll pick it up again. Once I, once I start hearing that things are starting to move back towards competitions and right away to me, that struck me as like, as a red flag went up. If, if you're, if you're waiting to hear about your next like third party goal that comes your way to begin training again, how much fitness and how much work are you going to erode up until that point? And so your point of I still want to be able to transition to whatever's next, and so I need to keep moving. That's an important one right now.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like people train and exercise for different reasons, and not everyone is like just just like living this active lifestyle. Like they do train specifically for medals or specifically for t-shirts or the races, and that's that's okay. That's what motivates some people. But I think that now is a really really good chance to think about other reasons like why you're why you're drawn to that like why why do I do all this work is it really for the metal or is it because I actually like training and I like being fit and I like these habits and Mm. I think a lot of people will realize that they they really like structured training and it's adding value to their lives and even if this big objective isn't there anymore they're still better off for having done it and I think that after this grieving period, a lot of people will realize like, yeah, there is a hole in my life. I want to get back to training.
0: Hmm. Faye, to keep you in this conversation. I'm curious. um, Did it have any impact on you? Um, You know, the U S Spartan season isn't, isn't the Olympics, but it's still very important. And it's what we, we put our energy into. Um, Did you have any initial reaction to them canceling the season? Like how did you handle this this last week?
3: Yeah. um, I did like at first when it first was, the races were starting to get um, canceled and stuff, I was slightly relieved because I was like, oh, you know what? I could use a little bit of a break. I've never been a fan of starting the, the uh, season that early and going like 11 months. So I was like, oh, sweet. Are we going to actually have just like a proper condensed season? That's awesome because then I have time to do all the other things I like to do in my life and then still have a condensed, really strong, um, focused season. So, I, But then when it was all canceled, yeah, it was. it was, you know, I was pretty upset. Um, I think like one thing that I've learned about myself and about people in general, um, which is very different than how Jess is, is I think a lot of us are like too extreme. Like just like you said, Bracken, it's like we're either gonna just like go all in and be cut and be training for all these crazy Spartan events, or we're not gonna go all in at all and not be training at all. And I have been such an extreme person my whole life like I'm on or off like the amount of times like my boyfriend has to tell me like it's not always black and white, it's not always black and white, like basically saying be a little bit more of like a moderate person like just like Jess when you asked what she did when she found out the Olympics was cancelled, she was like okay well I'm still gonna train and exercise a little bit and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Me? Screw it. I'm getting drunk with my friends, you know? like and. I just think that continuing to be that type of person is not only exhausting, but it just doesn't really make sense. So I think I've tried to put a little bit more moderation in just how I approach life in general from this pandemic. So I don't feel um, as devastated when things are taken away and I don't feel as um, like a slave to whatever choice i make. made. I just try and yeah, take it day by day.
1: I've I felt like this is an opportunity for a lot of people
3: mm-hmm.
1: that for years most runners are plagued by like an overriding weakness, but there's always a race on the horizon that doesn't allow you or doesn't make you want to devote a big chunk of time to eradicating that weakness because mm-hmm. you always want to quick freshen up and be sharp for something, and then you recover and then you got to build up for the next thing, and mm-hmm. it's this disjointed progression forward or sometimes just disjointed up and down that keeps you kind of in the same spot always fresh and sharp to do a pretty mediocre job at, mm-hmm. at running. And Jess, I'm curious to you, because you've seen the highest level, what would you identify as like the biggest low-hanging fruit that most runners can go after during this time to make themselves just a different type of runner once we come out of quarantine?
2: Um, I think you're completely right that there with so many races, it's very, very hard to get a great training block in and like periodize a season, which periodizing means doing different training at different times of the year in order to get the best performances when they're the most relevant or the most important. Um, and when you're racing constantly, it's really fun, but it's it's hard to get that work in. So I think that the the biggest low hanging fruit for sure would be just improving running because that is the majority of a Spartan race. And a lot of athletes haven't had a chance to build up mileage safely and steadily and over time and just really get this nice aerobic base under them. And with that, they haven't been able to do the sorts of workouts that we think are really important for endurance performance, like longer tempos or, or threshold work, um, stuff like that, that doesn't necessarily make you super sharp for a race, but it's sort of the bread and butter of fitness. So now is, now is the time to do that, really. <laughs> and and if athletes do, they will definitely see improvements in paces. All of our athletes are. Um, we, we're doing series of time trials with a lot of them, and they've been very pleasantly surprised to see their times come down, 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 even something like a time trial, a 5k or a 10k, you don't really have time to do that in a Spartan racing season with all the races. So, in a Spartan race, you get your result, but you don't actually really know if your running's improving unless you're testing it. So, this has been a really good chance for our athletes to see like, okay, yes, I am this this training's doing something. We are getting yeah. fitter, we are getting faster.
1: Yeah, every runner growing up at some level knew that person or multiple people who took the off season, like stopped playing soccer to train through for track or didn't run indoor or ran all summer for the first time. And they arrived to that next season different than they mm-hmm. used to be. And this is kind of everyone's chance where you don't even have to make the conscious decision to skip something it has been taken away for you. Yeah. Now is your chance to, to do that, where you skip a season of, of com- competing and recovery and an injury and all that, and just boom, do all the sequential pieces that should be there for maximum ability and show up different.
2: Yeah, my favorite coping mechanism for something like this is, boom, okay, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? I can run. I can lift. I can do more mileage. I can do this and that. So, okay, I can't show it off in a race type format, but I can do all these little pieces. Okay, great. I'm going to focus on that now. Now that is, that is my race. <laughs>
0: Well, we, uh, in our last episode, we, um, we talked about, obviously you have two, you know, if, if we're going to make it black and white, the options are you kind of keep your foot to the flame and you train with purpose towards something, or you just give up for a while until you decide it's like time to train again. And, and so paying attention to what some other professional runners are doing, um, they are still like racing. They are still time trialing. They're still doing workouts as if the races are still happening to keep their level of fitness up. And just piggybacking what you were saying, then what uh, what are you doing? what What is your school of thought for somebody so high performing as you? Like, how do you approach this so you don't let your fitness slip too much, but you don't burn out because there's no reason to right now. Like, how do you approach these next like six months?
2: Yeah. So some some high performance runners are doing these crazy time trials, and they're incredibly fast and very very visible, but. Those are the athletes you're noticing. There are also lots who aren't doing that mm-hmm. and they've like extremely dialed back training, but you're not noticing that because it's not flashy. So um, yeah. there are two trends of thought and I don't really think that one is better than the other it's just what are we doing with this time if you're already super super high level if you're newer to the sport this is such a good opportunity to to become more fit and to get into exercise habits and active lifestyle and etc cetera, etc cetera. but at the highest levels some have carried on business as usual they're setting huge pr's and their time trials and whatnot however these people are in training groups and i think that their life hasn't actually altered that much aside from no traveling because they're around their teammates every day, they're doing the same things, they have each other to hold each other accountable. And so they're able to still get that max effort out of themselves. Almost everyone I've talked to who are not in these groups are are really struggling, like even at the highest of levels, they're, they're finding it really hard to bring that like 101% like little edge to their workouts where they're really, really digging deep and, and whatnot. Even my, I train with an Olympic steeplechaser named Maria Bernard. And so, I mean, through this time, I've mostly been rehabbing my injury and coming back. And she's been training as usual with our little group and her, our little group is her husband, a couple orienteers and a master's athlete. So it's, it's really like a motley crew. We don't have this like Mecca of all these runners doing workouts all together. And she's like, I, I'm doing my best, but I'm just like, these times are, are, I just can't, can't bring that edge. And I've heard that from so many people. And in spite of that, her workout times aren't bad by any means. And so this season's almost become a holding place. So it's, it's enough training to feel like you're doing something and to stay focused and stay, still feel like an athlete. It's not enough to totally cook you. (laughs) Um, And so it's just, it's, It's a holding place. And right now I'm tremendously unfit as are several athletes that aren't as visible because we're not doing that much. Uh, They've had surgeries or are taking time off to rehab injuries and stuff. And I don't think I've ever been this unfit on this day, on August 5th, (laughs) I've never been this unfit. But I have faith that when I start to train again, it'll turn around, it'll come back. I have all these years of training under me it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter versus these people who have been banging out workouts nonstop and now are going into a transition season.
0: So Bracken and I talk about this and Faye, maybe you can chime in too with your thoughts, but we did an episode a few weeks back about like, are you mentally tough enough to race again? In the sense that there's this mental edge to racing. And if you're not, um, I don't know, pursuing that in some level on your own, you know, this could be four months, it could be six months, it could be a year, it could be more where we're actually back and having to put ourselves out there in that way, that losing touch with that could be detrimental potentially. So if you're going to sit in this holding pattern coming up, and Faye, again, I'm kind of curious what you think too, like, do you think there is there is a detriment potentially to like losing that edge for too long? Or do you think that, that's fine, I'm just going to get back into workouts and I'm going to be ready to race when it happens? Like, can you let it slip too much, I think is what I'm asking. What are your philosophies? Uh, on
3: that? Yeah, I'm going to jump in here because um, this was like my biggest concern. It's like, you know, I, I did after I found out these races, you know, I have dialed it back a bit, but um, not really that much, I guess, when I show people what I've been doing. <laughs> but that was my biggest fear was like, Like, I know, first of all, I was afraid, like, it's like, okay, it takes so much time off. And then if races come back in 2021, I'm going to need all of 2021 just to get to my baseline fitness. And then I'm going to start in 2022 to actually be relevant in the sport. So like there, you can get so out of shape that it's going to take you months and months to get back up there. So you need to maintain a baseline, but at the same time, it's like, I haven't had the motivation to want to test myself and do time trials and do that right now. So I've been giving myself workouts that are stress-free workouts. So instead of doing mile repeats or something like that, where I know exactly my times or doing a loop for time where I know exactly what I am at my peak, I've been doing everything off. just like rate of like perceived exertion um, and doing everything fartlek style. So that's why I was saying about those three minute intervals. I'm not doing 800s because I know off by heart my 800s, I can tell you them by the millisecond, like how fast they all should be. And I will kill myself if they're not that fast. So, you know, I change it to three minute intervals. Um, But that being said, I don't want to just get used to doing all these easy workouts all the time. And then I don't have that pain tolerance because I really think that that's kind of my gift and why I've been successful in running and in OCR is because I just have a high pain tolerance and that's not just like a genetic gift. That is something I purposely work on and train all the time. So I still need to, to touch that every once in a while. So once every four weeks, I do a test and it's, it's just this four mile loop around Central Park and I do it. I don't really care what the time is, but the intent is to just hit race discomfort So that's the goal. It's like for those four miles, I want to be hating my life, just as sometimes I hate it in a race and just check the box and be like, yeah, I still got it, I'm still tough. I'm not a wuss. Um, And just to make sure I'm working on that skill because that is such a skill that I don't think people talk about. Um, Mm -hmm. They talk about what's your threshold? What's your lactic threshold? What's your, how's your mobility? How's your blah, blah, blah. Like how are you when, like how's your pain tolerance? Can you actually hang when you're uncomfortable? Um, so yeah, I do think Mm -hmm. it's important to work on. I just don't need to work on it all the time because I think we need to keep in mind that people have a lot of other stresses right now. Um, financial, I mean, we could go on and on about that. And so really to add a huge workout stress perhaps isn't the best either. So, um, yeah, just finding that balance, I guess.
0: Jess, what's, uh, what's your philosophy? Can you let it slip too much and then have to to climb back into fitness? Or do you think there's a, a middle ground? Like what, now that you're probably formulating your own plan, what is it?
2: I I think that like your, your biggest race probably shouldn't be your first because definitely you can train race tactics 100% and you do need to get used to that discomfort, but a lot of it can come from training. So doing regular hard workouts will prepare you for the feelings that you get in In racing, and a lot of the workouts, like the the longer tempos and whatnot, teach you mental coping skills in like a safer, less aggressive environment that you can then apply to racing. So I, I'm not worried about not being sharp to race because it's so instinctual for me, and I've been doing it for years and years and years. And it's I think that a very very high high level athlete would approach this different than a newer athlete who probably should do time trials and if that appeals to them and whatnot i don't think it's right to force yourself to do something that your heart's not into because i don't think you'll be successful in that way but if you are motivated by seeing where you are and seeing how hard you can push and having these max efforts every once in a while that's probably a very good thing if you're a newer athlete because it's it's exciting because chances are you're going to be better than you ever have been and that's awesome but if you are a more experienced athlete, you'll get a lot of those feelings through training, and it's it becomes second nature, which is pretty cool.
1: <laughs> it's a really good point about not forcing yourself right now to do something your heart's not in. We kind of keep addressing this from all right. You reestablish a new goal and you go after it. You whatever that goal is. But if there isn't a goal that excites you, I think that's one of the benefits of the casual or beginner athlete readdressing their aerobic foundation because. It doesn't take any motivation like you said you can binge Netflix series you can go on a podcast uh, binge you can just listen to audiobooks or whatever and just go out each day and run by minutes Just alright I'm gonna listen to one podcast every single day this week and over time your motivation tends to return as your volume rises that's just something that people find they suddenly it's like you switch from oh i gotta get another 60 minutes into i bet i could get 75 today and then suddenly you're like hey i haven't run i haven't run 100 um, kilometers a week ever and i'm close to that and suddenly you're wanting a time trial and now you're wanting to start adding adding in some intensity and there is that kind of forgotten section of the ocr or running community right now that just truly can't decide on a goal and does not want to be intense about anything Mm -hmm. enforcing it now would be the quickest way to ensure that you burn out mentally before the season even starts up mm-hmm. again.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But I think people take tremendous comfort in habit. And so these yes. people without goals, I think I think can be very very comforted by like you don't need to have a goal. That's fine. Just doing something is better than nothing and it's still moving you forward and where that forward goes, it's okay that that's TBD. Like you're you're still improving.
0: So so what do you guys think then? If you are that athlete that doesn't have a goal that excites them, I think probably the majority of people are in that boat right mm-hmm. now. So, but they still care about racing in 2021. What if you don't have what what should you be doing then? What what is the placeholder? Like you said, habit is comforting. That means still go out and run and don't worry about purpose. Does it mean completely deload and and just say screw it for a month? Does it mean like for the athlete without something to really light their fire, like what what should they be doing?
3: they do have a goal. Their goal is 2021.
0: Sure. Sure. You're right. An immediate goal. Yeah.
3: And the immediate goals are just short-term goals to that long-term goal. So Mm -hmm. that when you look at it that way, I think it becomes really simple. Like um, I use myself as an example, obviously my goals are 2021. And so now, you know, that's a long-term goal, even though it's not an immediate goal, you can break down sub goals under that build to that. So one of mine is like trying to deal with the wet obstacles. Cause I seem to, uh, fall off those. Like I fell off the Jacksonville monkey bars. So now I go out to the park every time it rains and I hear the rain going, I just put on my shoes and go to the park and, um, get on the monkey bars. Um, so that, you know, that's, that's still a kind of a goal. I'm working on my grip strength so I don't fall off the monkey bars next year with Jacksonville. Um, so there's always goals, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's just, if they're a long ways around uh, a long ways from now you just have more sub goals under that Mm
2: -hmm.
0: yeah we talked about kind of maybe focusing on your weakness for example bracken wants to bring his aerobic aerobic threshold closer to his lactic threshold for example i want to work on my climbing you could take time to focus on things that you consider a weakness what obstacles but i feel like there's still like Like we're all talking about this as athletes who like, this is our habit. It's like brushing our teeth. teeth. We need to do something that day. But I feel like there's still a whole pool of procrastinators out there (laughs) who cram before tests and who are like, oh shit, now races are happening again in two months. And like, what about the procrastinator? The one who needs that pressure of time? Like, what do you suggest for that person so they they can keep on it? Because they're not all like us, you know? What do they do? I mean, the small tangible goals along the way, I agree with that. But do you guys have anything that comes to mind? Any of you?
2: I would say make sure it fits in with your lifestyle really well. Like we had a conversation with an athlete yesterday. She's like, I am not liking long runs right now. Like we we made them really, really long in prep for West Virginia. She was going to do a trifecta weekend. She's like, it is like 150 degrees where I live. This is not enjoyable. Okay, great. You know what? Let's not make your long run really long right now. That's fine. Let's make it work with your life. So I think fitness is a lot more attainable when it's like, okay, this this fits into my life and everything's cohesive rather than, okay, well, this is kind of inconvenient and kind of sucky, but it's okay because the goal is right there. Like it's you don't like the sacrifice doesn't have to be as stiff right now. But I think that just just like year over year, like exercise is good for you. It makes everyone happier. There's such a huge mental benefit to it there's such a huge physical benefit obviously so like to the person who's like oh like i can just procrastinate on like training for a race you can but i mean exercise like improves your well-being in so many ways why would you want to do that like let's make let's make some training work for you let's make it so that it's it's not taking away from your quality of life it's adding to it
0: talk dog you that yeah it is
1: I like the idea of tricking people too, like with their consent, that, <laughs> that sometimes we have to do something that we know isn't the long game for us to snap us out of a doldrum. An example of this is, I've talked about it before, when we had our first baby, I gave myself two weeks where I didn't leave the house very often. We just spent as much time with the baby as possible. So every morning and night, I would run a faster than threshold one mile for two weeks. I ran one mile morning, one mile at night, and they were all like 520 or faster. None of them are super hard, but it was really fun to like not stretch, not warm up, not cool down, just run out the door, exhilarating, run fast. And it was over before it even got hard. And then I was totally done for the day and right before, but I'd do it one more time. I knew that wasn't sustainable, but for a moment, it took me back to being a little kid that I would just like run out the door, run really hard around my block for three laps and then come in and be done and like go eat fishy crackers and watch cartoons. You know, like that's kind of what it felt like. And I knew that wasn't sustainable. But I also knew that it was going to hold on to some level of fitness. It was going to make me like running again. And by the time I got to the end of the two weeks, I was going to be ready to just start a normal progression. And I I used something like that for an athlete this year. And then someone else, we did something where we just started, all right, you're not allowed to do anything but breathe through your nose for seven days of running. Watch your heart rate. We're going to see exactly what happens so that everything is easy. I would never prescribe nasal-only training. But for one week, <laughs> just to shake things up and like get them to start paying attention to their heart rate and their perceived exertion, he ran nothing but nose breathing for a week. And by the end, he could not wait to start up threshold work and couldn't wait. You know, like mm-hmm. sometimes nonsensical tricks where you're both on the same page. We know this isn't sustainable, but just for a week or two, let's go have fun or try something wacky mm-hmm. sometimes can can bridge the gap between like the depression and the doldrums to being hungry again. Do you guys ever try tips or tricks or just like nonsensical training, knowing that it's a short term fix?
0: I think we've
3: sort of had to, with this heat that we've been having, we've had to alter some workouts based on that just to kind of trick. Like, for instance, like instead of doing intervals, long intervals, we're giving them really short intervals with really short rests. They're kind of in the same zone as long intervals, but they're not as like mentally um, taxing. And they seem a lot more easier to get through because they're just shorter bouts. Um, so stuff like that, but I use tricks like that, like on myself all the time to get myself out the door. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Like, like all the time. Like I have all these like stories that like I make up in my head. Like, so my most recent one is like, because I, I've been riding my bike a lot. I got into cycling and I wear this like hot pink helmet and I kind of stand out at central park because um, people who ride in Central Park, like they've got, they're either on a, there's two types of people. They're either on like a five to ten thousand dollar road bike and they're super, super intense, or they're just on a city bike. Um, so they're just trying to get to the grocery store. Um, and then there's me, I'm like kind of on this like normal bike with this pink helmet. And I kind of made this narrative in my head that like you start because you go there at the same time, people start to kind of know who you are. And so I've like been like, oh, okay, I can't like slack off and, and ride easy because like, I'm the one who always hammer Central Park on the bike and I count how many people I can get per loop. So I usually get like Mm -hmm. 15 people per loop. So in a four mile loop, I've passed 60 people. And I know it's so dumb, but in my head, like if I get 55 people, I'm like, oh, I'm I'm out of shape. If I get 62, I'm like, I'm in the best shape of my life. And it's totally irrelevant because there could be more people out of the path or less people out of the path. I could have, you know, but it's, it's kind of just making games and pretending that these games are like really important and just sort of having fun with it um, while working hard. And sometimes you don't need like a race to really push yourself. You can just play a dumb little game about like, you know, um, cat and mouse. Mm
2: -hmm. And you both, you guys both gave perfect examples of making it work for you. Like Bracken doing your one mile easy in the morning, and the afternoon, it worked for your lifestyle. Then you you got yeah. fitness, you had your habit, and it it fit perfectly. And Faye, your game is wacko, but like you, <laughs> what you need right now is fun and distraction. And so you found that for yourself, and <laughs> maybe inadvertently, but it's, it's filling what you need with fitness right now. You've still got it. And it looks a little different than it normally would. You're not charging up a mountain, but it's, it's filling its void.
0: Yeah. I think it's about filling your cup. Um, whatever does that, like if, if you know, you enjoy hard interval work and going to the track excites you, even though it might not be the best thing to set you up for your first beast race next year. Like if it's enough to keep you happy, That's going to get your fitness like three quarters of the way there anyways, Mm -hmm. and you can start filtering and those sacrificial workouts that you don't enjoy as much when the time gets closer. And as long as you hold that like 75% or 80% Mm -hmm. of your fitness through doing workouts that fill your cup, I think like you kind of got it figured out. And so it's like permission to do that. If you dread going to the mountains all day, I don't know who does, because I love it. But like, <laughs> then just don't for a while and do the things that are flashy and you enjoy. I think that now's a good time to give yourself permission to do that. See how many people you can kill on the bike. You call that kills when you pass somebody, right? Like sure. how many people did I kill today? <laughs> yeah. That's what I call it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So yeah, so things like that. I think I think you outlined that. I think that's how people should approach it. If, if the monotony of what they should be doing is sucking the life out of them in training, then I think it's time to, to look at what excites you and what yeah fills you up.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I think just like Jessica said, like if all else fails, like none of these techniques we're giving you guys are working and you're like, what are these guys talking about? Like, I hate to be like Dr. Fay, but like, <laughs> I mean, you need to exercise. Like, it's not like a, it's not like a, Oh, I can take off exercise. Like you take off brushing your teeth. Do you take, like, it's part of health. And your doctor would recommend that you get, I don't know what the guidelines are because I've been above them my whole life, but what? let's say it's five 30-minute bouts a week of of a Like three 30-minute yes. bouts. Yeah. Okay, well, you guys all can triple that and pretend that's the standard, the health standard. But all I guess is what I'm saying is, you know, it's, I guess it is a choice, but it's just not really a choice. This is something you guys need to do to take care of yourselves, so... And
2: speaking to this audience, like, like you guys all know that, <laughs> like you, you're listening to this podcast because you love exercise, you love training. So it's, it's something you already know intuitively. And so, you know, like, yeah, this is something I actually do want to do.
3: Yeah. But sometimes I will say sometimes I do forget that because like, <laughs> I'll be like, I won't have a race and I'll take time off and I'll be like hanging out with my friends, like drinking, I'll put on like 10 pounds in a week and I'll be like, oh Yeah. I'm not only supposed to exercise, so I'm a professional athlete. I'm supposed to exercise so I don't get to be a fat slob. Like, sometimes you can sort of forget that how good exercise is for you, aside from your goals, just from mental health and physical health. Mm-hmm. At least I forget that because I haven't had to, you know, motivate myself by those things. But honestly, sometimes that's what gets me out of the door. hmm
1: I've seen the professional side from a couple different standpoints. My sister was a professional gymnast. My other sister is a professional basketball player. My dad was a professional football player. And the common thread between all those sports is that there's a huge occurrence of depression upon retirement
2: mm-hmm.
1: because you have these people who have this, this system in place throughout their entire career. And then they retire and the same thing happens in normal corporate jobs and everything as well. Suddenly it's gone and you're aimless and the things that you always did on autopilot, if there's not structure in place, people get aimless and depressed. And there's a really high correlation of people dying after they retire from a lifelong job because they've lost purpose. When you lose purpose, you live, You lose the will to just do stuff well. And a lot of people just like when they're in their 60s or 70s and they retire, they die within six to nine months after, after retiring. Now, that's mm-hmm. kind of a dramatic statement. But like we all kind of die inside a little bit when we leave behind the thing we know the most. And this is in a way, this is like a small little microcosm of that. We've all had like this mini retirement forced upon us. And we're finding out what kind of systems we have in place to be a healthy person not just a training athlete. And I think it's a really good time for introspection to decide, all right, sports aside, when am I at my best as a person? When I'm injured and I stop training, I'm at my worst as a husband and a father. It's when I have structure to my training, like forget my own physical health, my mental health is never better than when I'm exercising. And I think a lot of people need to start taking a look at like the long-term ramifications of how they train. Mm -hmm. I'm the biggest example of I train when I have a goal and when I don't, I am aimless. And I know that's setting me up for future failure upon retirement, so to speak, of athletics. And a lot of people have some version of that, that this is a perfect testing ground for setting up those structures in place for when you finally leave what you're doing.
2: I totally agree. Like it's such a rampant issue that the Canadian Olympic Committee has actually developed like this massive, like multi-million dollar program to help athletes transition into not real life, the rest of their lives Mm -hmm. post-sport because you have these athletes who have gold medals in mostly winter sports in Canada. And because of that, they haven't gone to university. So they're 25, 30 years old. They've got multiple gold medals and no education. And they have no idea what to do with the rest of their lives. Um, But, and I completely agree that this is hard. It's not easy. And it does expose why you train and what you gain from it from a mental aspect and, and the purpose that comes from seeking for a goal. Um, but I'll go back to what I said earlier about how this cancellation of races is a little bit like an injury where something that you are driving towards is taken away and now you have to change how you go about something. And I've found, and I've seen this in other athletes that the first injury or the first like bout of adversity is by far the hardest and then then you kind of develop coping mechanisms where you fill in those gaps to make you a more complete person, or you learn how to focus on what you can do instead of what you're missing and redirect focus and whatnot. And so just as you get stronger with dealing with bouts of adversity, like this will strengthen you in future injuries, future cancellations, future pandemics, um, Mm -hmm. and things that are related, but different, like, like retiring from a job or being fired and having to find a new career or, I don't know, um, relationship changes, things like that. Like, like, it's just like full personal resiliency. It's just coming from sport.
0: Doesn't this then bring up like a a good conversation though, about like, okay, it's nice to talk about it in theory, like, okay, you retire from work and now you're walking through life aimlessly. Mm -hmm. Well, again, we're walking through life aimlessly a little bit. Like, is there a good approach to creating the structure you need right now? Is it as simple as like set your alarm early and develop a habit or is there more to it than that? Like, how do you answer that question then? Like now that it's taken away, do you have any like go-to thoughts, any of you on that?
2: Well, I think a lot of it isn't taken away. It's really just for most people, it's just the races are taken away. You can still train, Mm -hmm. you can still like, you have to, you have to restructure your goals a hundred percent if your goals were racing related, but that's doable. And so again, it's just Mm -hmm. focusing on what can be done, not
3: what's now not an option. So I have, I have, like, I think, a a good suggestion for everyone to do. Um, And I actually, hopefully, if the borders open, um, I'd like to do this. But I think that, you know, as coaches, like Bracken and Kirk, you can look at your athletes, and Jess, we can look at our athletes and let's say we kind of all agree I would say that you know putting them in a, a solid base building phase right now to build up that aerobic engine is probably what's um what phase where most of us are gonna be in um but you kind of think okay what do you what do they want their like biggest long run to be like at once we start interval training once we get back into the, the real season um, what kind of mileage do we want to build up And they should like go message their friends and plan like an epic, run that will be their longest long run. So say it's 25 miles, say you want to build them up to a 25 mile long run, then that 25 mile, it should be like a group effort. Like they pick four of their best friends and they go climb like this awesome mountain. And so they're training for, they're training to accomplish, um, not just getting through the base build, which can be sometimes a grind, but looking forward to an event with friends that they do together. And I think it'd be really motivating because if there's anything I think I've learned about the OCR community, is we all have like big egos. So we're not gonna like wanna be like left behind with our friends because I only could make it 17 miles because I didn't follow Bracken's progression up to this long run. Um, And I think it would be like just as, maybe not as wow as a race, but like pretty close. Cause I think what most of us miss most about racing is just A, pushing ourselves and then B, the social aspect. And then perhaps C, the fact that people get to travel to somewhere beautiful. So we don't need Spartan race to um, create that for us. We can do it Mm -hmm. ourselves. So I think that that that's something we all should look at. I know I was talking to Lindsay, Rhea, and Nicole, and we were thinking of all doing the or Quad, which is a series of four big mountains. And um, the next morning when I woke up, I was like, oh, how long should I run? I was like, I probably should run a little longer than I have been running if I'm going to do that or Quad Mm -hmm. with Lindsay. And I don't want to be like, hey, Lindsay, go on without me. I can't keep up because I'm out of shape. So something like that I think would be really fun for people to do. Um,
1: I really like that, Faye.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I really do. And just you had talked about we don't all have the luxury of being in a training camp with this mm-hmm. training group and this huge support system. And I think what Kirk and I have found over the years just from each other is that if you don't have that, the next best thing is a big training weekend with getting together with buddies.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Faye, that that concept of put one on the calendar with some big epic goal or even a standard goal, but you know, you have to do it at the pace of your friends. That's as motivating as anything.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and we talked about, I talked about this, I think in the last podcast, like when you look at racing and you look at your season and it's like really like a snapshot of like memories and experiences that you go back and remember the exhilaration of crossing the finish line and the experience of the event. And, and so creating a situation in which you can like have more new experiences that like you will remember forever, whether it's our big epic training weekends, Bracken, or like you mentioned, Faye picking a mountain and crushing it with your friends. Like, I think those are really important to keep on your calendar to like, I don't know, like make those experiences. Cause otherwise, Mm -hmm. otherwise you're like going to go how long without that. And those are kind of the, the highlight points of your season. When you look back, like don't let that go right now. Mm-hmm. And it could look however you want it to. But I like the idea of doing something big, maybe something that scares you. Something just enough where like when you go for your long run, you go an extra half an hour just because <laughs> you have something coming up. I like that.
2: Yeah, fitness lets you do some really cool things aside from just Spartan racing.
1: <laughs> the great part about Faye's idea is that people are more likely to duck out of a race than a girl's weekend or a boy's weekend.
0: <laughs> you get
1: a cold race and you're like, well, I'm not going to... I think my flights are refundable. I'm not in great shape. I'm going to save a thousand bucks on this weekend and not go because I don't want to pay a thousand to have a mediocre result. But you're not going to try to save your flight because you're going to have a bad performance with your friends. You're going to keep training and go to it because you don't want to miss out on the weekend of time spent with them. And then the Mm -hmm. exercise is almost a bonus. Races Mm -hmm. are easy to duck out of if you're not mentally ready, but people just don't generally bail on trips with their friends because they know some part of it's still going
0: to be fun, even if they get their butt kicked on the trail. Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Jess, I had a a question for you being that you're like, I don't know, kind of the epitome of a runner's the running, the sport of running you have, you have reached in a sense by qualifying for the Olympics. Do you, just because we're talking about things that excite you or doing these big things. Do you allow yourself the opportunity to do that in your training and your builds? Like, I know I shouldn't be going and running mountains with Faye, but I want to like, Mm -hmm. do you, do you make room for those sort of things when you're at the highest level of the sport?
2: No, you can't like at the highest level. It's, it is so all consuming. Like my life for the last seven years has been, what can I do to make myself faster? (laughs) Like, and that's, that's trumped all of my, many of my social activities, many of my, certainly my training activities, my fun time, like, Faye talks about like, okay, great, I'll go get drunk with my friends. I don't have that that option very often. Maybe I do more than I think, but in a sport where like it's literally milliseconds, there there is no wiggle room and the competition's so stiff because it's the most popular sport in the entire world, right? Like everyone can run. Everyone, like there, there's no wiggle room. So no, I when Faye's in town, I don't go to the mountains and run with her because then I'll be tired for my next workout. And so for me it's, it's hard. It's like, it's all about what do I have to do to make myself faster. And that that is one great thing about this. The season is that I've been able to go camping with my boyfriend, I've been able to meet up with some friends for a couple beers. And I've been able to not sleep eight or nine hours a night every single night because I was doing something social. And so it, there's been a lot, a bit more balance because at the the highest and highest of levels, there there's balance, there's balance enough to make it sustainable, but there's not balance enough to make it a normal life.
0: Breck, and Brad, can you talk about yeah. falling in love with the process, right? Yeah. Like if you don't fall, I mean, if if you enjoy the process and and taking a tenth of a second off of your quarter mile repeat splits is enough to excite you to like uh, keep the ball rolling, then then your process is just different. And, and Brack, and I, I guess this would be more your question, but we talked about in this, in this period of time, maybe having workouts in which you can monitor your progress. If you're, let's say a newer runner, like 5k time trials or repeatable workouts. Um, do you, do you go to repeatable workouts often? And does the prospect of repeating a workout excite you? Trying to do that workout a millisecond better than the last time—the the, the day to day process—is that enough to to keep you moving, mm-hmm. motivated?
2: Um, I'm sorry. Is that a question for me or Bracken?
0: Uh, well, no. It's Bracken. Bracken made this point in oh. our last episode, but I'm asking you, like, because sometimes people get stuck in the monotony of training, and it's like, God, I have to do thousands again, or I have mm-hmm. to do—that's like, not exciting. But to you, is it exciting?
2: It is. It's exciting and it's scary because. I put a lot of emotion into my training because it's it's such a big part of my life. And so it's very disheartening to me when it doesn't go as I hope it will. But when it does, oh, I feel so good. I'm so happy, like the... The moments where i'm the most calm and the most satisfied and the the most like myself in a week are like the moments following a hard workout whether it's good or bad it's just like there's so much i just feel so alive when i do the workouts this is sounding a little bit corny but it's you push yourself you see what you can do and then you have to there are objective results to review and that is like very black and white and um repeating a workout and seeing that it's better makes me incredibly happy <laughs> and I don't race a ton and a ton and a ton because I'm so jealous of you OCR racers who can race every weekend or every few weekends when I run a 5k I'm out of commission I'm out of training for a week I can run maybe a 5k a month maybe because like, it's it takes so much out of me and in a race there are so many different things that can go good and bad and this and that and this and that and so very rarely do I walk away from race being like, I crushed that. <laughs> but luckily in training, I get that opportunity two or three times a week to be like, have I improved? Did I crush that? Was that maybe not the best? What should I have done differently, et cetera, et cetera. So I completely agree. Like I do love the process. I don't love it every day, but I, I'm, it's such a strong part of my life and running 400 meter repeats a 10th of a second faster sounds like so trivial and on a bad day I will self-talk that it is it's still work and this is not defining my identity by any means but on a good day it is tremendously satisfying.
1: Just you're starting to highlight something that I think people need to understand because sometimes we put our own sport or our performance on a pedestal we like Mm -hmm. to think that what we're doing is so incredible but you talk about how you can run a 5k a month. And I would agree with that. And I think that part of the reason a lot of people in our sport can race so often is we're not able to empty our tank in our system in the same way that tracker or cross country or road racing can, because there's so much going on that it's really hard to keep it absolutely pegged the whole time. Mm-hmm. And also the competition mm-hmm. isn't deep enough that you're surrounded by six to eight people right next to you every step of the way so that you don't have the ability to step off. Mm -hmm. We can be alone for 40 minutes at a time in a race. Mm -hmm. And even the toughest person in the world will struggle to really, really redline it when you're by yourself with no extra person to give you that gear. And Mm -hmm. I'd like you to talk a little bit about how close track racing really is. So you went to Rio, correct? 2016? Yes. All right. What did you qualify in? What event for the listeners?
2: The 5K. All
1: right. When you qualified in the 5K, what position did you finish
2: in the qualifying race?
1: In the qualifying race to get to the Olympic.
2: Hmm, I think I was, you know, I can't remember. I had to run a time standard and I was like fifth or sixth in the race, I think.
1: Okay. Do you and remember? I'm oh, sorry.
2: At our trials, I was third.
1: Okay. So at the trials, you were third and you hit your standard. Did you still have to go top three at trials? Yes. Okay. So you hit your trial. you hit your standard to qualify for the Olympics, but to, in order to be representing your country, you still had to go top three at the trials. Mm-hmm. Do you remember how close second and fourth were to you?
2: Oh, it was in tenths. So bl- blanket finish. <laughs> right.
1: So fourth place, the person who did not get to go, mm-hmm. and you were third and you did get to go. How close were they to you? I mean, how many inches would you say?
3: Oh, two, three. <laughs> it's ruthless.
1: <laughs> so two inches separated you from going to rio and not going to Rio, and now it starts making sense why yeah i couldn't go out and drink with Faye, or i Mm -hmm. couldn't go up a mountain because you were two inches away from going home utterly failed at your goal for the year to being ecstatic and everything you did over the whole cycle was worth
3: it Mm -hmm. and that's
1: the kind of thing that a lot of people never totally understand that your goals aren't as specific as some people on this planet have to live their life your tenths matter because your tents are your make or break moments
3: mm-hmm. yeah i just i want to jump in there because i totally agree with you bracken we can we race so much in ocr because we have never been in that amount of pain and really pushed our body on um, what it is to run a flat out road race track race anything like that like Um, I don't think, I mean, we all know bracket curve, just like, you know, that feeling when you get lactic acid in your mouth, that it tastes like metal. Like Mm -hmm. I don't, I've never gotten that, you know, in a OCR race. Um, so yeah, I just think it is the change of of pace and you're thrown in a bunch of different tasks. So you kind of come in and out and you're not, you know, separated by those milliseconds, but like, having those specific goals like that to the second is this I for me like I wasn't able to handle it in track like I would weigh myself I had to be 104 pounds like on the dot every time before I went to a race and if I was one pound or two pounds heavier I used to calculate two pounds times 12 and a half laps that's 25 you know milliseconds which is going to put me off my pace and you're just thinking about everything needs to be so dialed in it is the most like exhausting um, pursuit ever it's so stressful like even when jess comes to visit me in new york i like i like hey jess how are you feeling should we get some water where do you want to sleep <laughs> like i'm like uber stressed because i just know one little thing is off and you're done And in OCR, it's not really like that unless we're talking about the spear, which is the only thing that really breaks or makes races. I think that speaks to different sports for different people, though.
2: Like, I think that that's why Faye is no longer in track or road running is because her personality is more prone to being extremely, like, detail-oriented. And, like, I would never weigh myself a day before a race and be like, Oh my goodness, like my time is now going like down the drain because I had a burrito two days ago. <laughs> like, um, because that's not long-term <laughs> sustainable. Like there's, I, uh, many of my college teammates or people that I raced against were like that, like very, very detail oriented. And, um, I don't want to say obsessed, but just like perfectionist A-types and, and they're not in the sport anymore. Cause you can't do that forever. But OCR because it's, it's running and it's strength and it's a little bit of everything. It, you're forced to be a little bit more moderate,
0: but I think there's lessons people can take away from what you're saying and apply it to, I mean, we have, our listeners are starting to, you know, shift. We're getting more and more runners added to our, our listening pool, not just OCR athletes, but like, there's a lot of takeaways from that, like finding your process and dialing it in, like it is still definitely necessary to succeed in our sport. Faye, you can attest attest to that. Like, there's no doubt. It's not, I mean, it's, it's just, there's more, there's more angles to pursue, but, um, I think it's an interesting, something I just want to dwell on just for a second is yeah. Faye, you smirked when, when I think, uh, Bracken or, or Jess mentioned that, um, like OCR athletes like to really boast, like, this is the hardest thing you can possibly do. And this is so hard and and then a short sprint race, which only to only takes a half an hour, is so easy. And it makes me want to roll my eyes every time I hear all that garbage because it's complete bullshit. It has to do with, the you know, how painful is a 5K that takes you 15 minutes, Jeff? It's inside out. I hate my life. Like, so intense pain that you can only live in that moment. And so I think there's going to be an argument. Some people in the back of their head are thinking, like, no, OCR is harder than a stupid 5K. You're just running for three miles but I don't think people really understand the intensity that you're talking about. And I just think it's worth dwelling on for a second. Like, how would you guys describe the difference between like OCR pain and like run redline pain? Like, Faye, why don't you jump in first because you've had both.
3: So yeah, I, I think about OCR pain versus road running pain it's like a chronic injury versus an acute injury so the ocr pain is like oh my god i have had this low back pain that is just like irritating and it's just like constantly irritating you and it's getting worse and worse um and you know eventually it kind of blows up um so that's kind of like how for me the ocr race goes it's just like it's not that painful you can still deal with it you can still walk around do your day-to-day but it just gets worse and worse as the race progress whereas Uh, I think like these shorter events, like the 5k is just like someone breaks your arm and then that pain just lingers for 15 (laughs) minutes. So that's kind of how I describe it. (laughs) That's not bad. That's a pretty good
0: analogy, actually.
2: There's this push that more is always better. Like this drives me absolutely bananas in-
0: Drives me nuts too, so go ahead
2: like doing an ultra is more valid than doing a sprint or like, I don't think you would ever go up to an Olympic 800 meter runner and be like, you suck. You don't do the marathon. Like, like, I, I just believe that in sport, maybe this is my own personal philosophy, but if you're trying to, if you're training for performance and you're training for execution, like, like, you can do anything 100%. Like you can do a sprint and do the best sprint in the world and it should be, it's a different type of pain, but it's a same level of proficiency and execution and just nailing it as doing an ultra. It's just different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think we're ragging on the sport and we're not trying to say that their sport's lesser because people aren't constantly puking or passing out at the end of the races, but I think it should be encouraging. We don't have people, we're not packed up for 99% of the race in this mad dash to the finish. That means we all have room to be better. Like unless you spent that entire race with someone in sight or catching you, there's a very low chance you had your best race you possibly could have had. You maybe nailed a lot of your race, but without the fear of death in you, you're just not quite at your max capacity. And that means we have a lot of room to develop. Like until we're getting to the point where we are agonizing over tenths and we are agonizing over the correct strategy of when do I make my move rather than just, oh, I'm going to hang on the front pack till I drop off and then I'm going to be in no man's land for 40 minutes. Like when that stops becoming your mentality, now you're really starting to scrape against your ceiling. But most of us just aren't there yet. And that's a good thing. It means we can look at Jess, can look at these people and say, all right, that is the blueprint for how to get there. How do I apply it to my racing style? Yeah, exactly. Well, and and we, you're right. We, for some reason, glamorize the grind in OCR. Like, the steeper the course is, the harder it is, and the more muddy it is, the more worthwhile doing it is, and the longer the race. Like, if it was supposed to be 13 and it was 15, that was the hardest thing we've ever done. You didn't throw up during that, and if you did, it was GI distress. You know, you didn't you didn't get to the point where your vision started closing off, and you if it did, it was because we were on course for an hour longer than you thought, and it was dehydration it's death by a thousand cuts it's not that someone slashes you open be like you have 10 minutes to get to the finish or you're gonna die like that's how a lot of intense races are and we get to the finish more exhausted than i've ever been in any other sport but it's an exhaustion of sustaining right over threshold for a long time but every little bit you get faster than threshold gets more acute in the agony that you suffer
3: right i have to share a story um, I just have to share this story quick. Um, this is like the best paid story ever. Um, this is when I first like discovered how hard running was. Um, I was quite young and I was running the three K, um, track and, um, then I decided to do the thousand. So I was like, Oh, this is a third of the distance. I guess like a thousand is a sprint. Um, so I literally went out, like I would go out like at 400 meter pace. Like I just thought that a thousand was a sprint because it was a third of the races since I was used to. And I remember on the back stretch coming home, I couldn't even stay in the inside lane. I started swerving like to lane three and lane four and my legs weren't working. Like they weren't coordinating like my arm swing to my leg swing. I kind of had this like weird like shuffle finish where I almost looked like I was going to fall over. And I remember reading about it and they were like, when your body gets so, when you get so much lactic acid in your body, you lose control of your muscle contractions. Um, and so that's basically where that loss of coordination, um, happened. And I just remember like doing those hundred meters and I just felt like I was going to trip on my own feet because I had so much built up so much lactic acid in my legs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never had that loss of coordination in running anything long like that. It was just like a really crazy experience. I always remember that. <laughs> yeah. Too hard. <laughs> oh yeah,
0: my most pain, my most intensely painful experience was the fifteen hundred meter national finals in college. It was we went out too hard for a finals, and then we went out in two hundred one or two hundred two, and I was cooked to start and. And, uh, that was it. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a two hour mountain grind. It was a, it was a Mm -hmm. three minute and 50 second race. And it it sucked. It was the most painful three minutes and 50 seconds of my life. So I don't know. I I agree with that, that, that duration is sometimes glamorized. Like people won't travel all the way to Florida for a race. If it's just a sprint, it's Mm -hmm. like, it's like, just travels all the way to Germany to race a 5k. Like
2: no, I've done further. <laughs> yeah. Exactly,
0: Like it's just, it's kind of silly that perspective. I
2: think. Yeah. The glorification of the grind is so interesting from an outside view, because in one sense, I think it's really good because more people are exercising because they want to grind and they, they like that and that motivates them. And that's great. I like, as I'm also an exercise physiologist. So anytime people are exercising, I'm pumped, but a big part of my training isn't necessarily training more or training harder because i already train as much and as hard as i can and i could always go out and and run an extra half hour or an hour or something in the morning again i already do doubles but like a triples or i could of course i could do that like i have time running's the most like one of the biggest things in my life aside from my family and whatnot like if that would help me i would do it i could always like do five more reps on a workout and make it longer I, if, if it would help me i would do it i could become a vegan. If I thought it would help me, I would do it. But something that comes with being like a a pro athlete, someone who is my, this is, I'm training to be the very best I can. I'm not training for enjoyment. I'm training to be my best. And it's, it's knowing that like training harder is not, I can't, I can't train harder. I have to train smarter. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's less training because it's more recovery. It's just, does this plan make sense? Is it, working towards my goals. (laughs) So it's it's interesting to see the glorification of the grind because it's, it's the exact opposite philosophy and it's just, it's just different. Yeah.
1: (laughs) My big takeaway from all of this is that, it's, it's okay for an OCR athlete to have an atypical goal, and that is what's going to drive your next offseason. It doesn't have to be, well, I did a trifecta last year, I need three this year, or I did a beast, I have to do an ultra beast to be accepted. Mm-hmm. You can have pride in saying, I'm going to be the best sprint runner I can possibly be, or I'm going to go after the stadium series, or I'm going to try to have three fantastic super races. Like We don't have to like shy away from our goals because they aren't epic in scale. They are epic in accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And so moving into this time period, we don't have to say I missed my whole 2020 and I had done so many trifectas, I got to make up for it next year. No, No. you can make up for it by being the best version of your goal possible.
3: Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I'm curious about like kind of what Jessica's saying, like you have to train smarter, not harder. And, you know, some of these OCR, like Ryan Kent's a great example, like he's not going to have the time to train harder anymore. Um, He's going to have to train smarter and uh, you know i think that'll that'll serve him well and i think perhaps like maybe some other professional obstacle racers like they need to maybe get jobs especially if you don't race next year too and you know that actually people shouldn't be so afraid of that um it might just give you an opportunity to to trim the fat and do the stuff that's really important and then have that extra um recovery
1: yeah yeah there's that There's that famous, you know, idea in coaching that the goal isn't to give the hardest workout possible, it's to give the easiest workout possible that gives Mm -hmm. you your maximum benefit. Like, if this is my benefit, Mm -hmm. what is the least amount of work I can do to hit that so that I can repeat it again in a day or two, Mm -hmm. and then again in a day or two? It's not, I don't want to be a zombie for five days. I want to be able to hit that workout 38 times over this next training cycle. You know, Mm -hmm. what is the least common denominator?
2: Totally. Yes. Yeah, like Elliot kipchoge the best marathoner of all time, says he approaches his workouts at about 90% effort every mm-hmm. single day, and he has for decades. So, yeah. this mm-hmm. 90% effort is a heck of a lot more sustainable than 110% effort for a short term.
1: So, this, Faye, you and I talked about this on the phone a little bit. This highlights one of my biggest fears about fad workout plans and fad trends is that anyone can go out and get results for six to 12 months you can you can try a new stimulus and do a lot of intensity and say volume is the enemy you do not need volume it's been overstated and anyone can do something for a half a year or a year or a year and a half but what happens after five years and eight years and ten years that is the proof and the only thing that's shown to work over time is smart volume and moderating your intensities in a pretty polarized state. Like anytime we see this new plan come online that's very, very specific to intensity trumps all, and we're just going to work really, really hard a lot of the time, but in small you know, doses, I always cringe thinking like, yeah, you're going to get better for a little bit, but then what happens next? Because we all have experienced times when we've overtrained and taken a step backwards. And Faye, you and I talked about it, but it's always my fear is that people see something new and cool and it's a fad. And next year we realize, oh, now I either have to find the next fad or reset and rebuild mm-hmm. all
3: over again. Yeah, we've talked about this a lot. I-, I just think that I'm happy that you guys, I'll just say this happy you guys started your podcast. Um, because I know you guys do your research on stuff and everything is scientifically sound. And the last thing I thought that the OCR community needed was more training methods out there that aren't scientifically sound. So I'm just glad that you guys aren't adding to the muddledness of confusion um, of obstacle course racers because when Jessica and I started our business, we were like, okay, I know we're smarter than most people because we both are educated in exercise sciences, but I this can't be just because this is something they're getting this information from stuff they're reading. And so many people just want to put stuff out there without doing a long-term study, without studying it over time. They're looking at quick little short snippets, months, um, weeks sometimes and thinking that it worked. And that's just so wrong from just every sort of standpoint. And it just, it really, really drives me nuts. And so I'm just, I know we're all kind of aligned on that and yeah, I just kind of wanted to just sort of say that, that
0: science is science. And- yeah, well, thank you. And I think every, you know, I'm gonna say every successful athlete in these, in, let's just talk OCR, has this long endurance base that they've earned and built over years and time. And it's not these flashy things that are the ones that are, uh, it's not the flashy workouts that are the ones that are that have built that underlying fitness. And, and that's exactly right, a testament to the years of training uh, sure, that, that six-month bout of, let's say, compromised running is going to show benefit, but its ceiling is still going to be met if you haven't built that that true long periodization over years and years and years. I think that's the secret pet peeve of most coaches, isn't it? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, with my bias, I always just look at <laughs> what are the Olympians doing? Because I think um, no, no coach philosophy or, or group has as much research dollars poured into it as the Olympic committee and different like national sports federations. So they are doing the very best they can. So if they aren't doing hit training every day or, and not necessarily just for runners, but maybe triathlon is a better example where there's multiple events that are sometimes competing and there is a strength component. Um, Like they're not doing hit every single day. They're not doing, they're not in the weight room every single day. They're, um, they have a polarized program. Each piece complements each other piece. Um, There's recovery built in. It's, it flows really nicely and they do that because it
1: works. Yeah. And they research ad nauseum. I always look at Nike. No, they're Mm -hmm. seen as the evil empire in our sport. And, you know, to some extent, that's true. However, no brand has spent more money on cutting edge research than Nike. Mm-hmm. They have tried everything legal and not to find out what they need to now give to their athletes. And they're all doing volume. They're all doing polarized training. You know, mm-hmm. it's, It might be implemented differently for each athlete, but that even like, speaks to it more that if you have a billion dollar giant pouring billions of dollars each year into researching all of the fads and seeing what lasts. And none of them have really replaced the training that was done in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's fine-tuned that training, but there hasn't been anything new. There's mm-hmm. been no like breakthrough like, hey, we have a magic workout or we have a <laughs> yeah. magic training. Or mm-hmm. if you simply do this, it doesn't exist. And mm-hmm. it's not saying that it won't, but there's no body of evidence yet that's been worth the richest people on the earth with the most to lose by athletics to adopt something new.
2: Exactly. And I've seen athletes train all over the world at training camps and we're all doing basically the same thing. It's all polarized. Everyone's got their long run. Everyone's got their track workouts. They're really freaking hard and it's it's same, same, but different, but it's the same.
1: Yeah. The differences between these groups, are not that some are high and low mileage or some are hit versus endurance. It's like some run 80 to 100 and some run 100 to 120 miles per week. Mm -hmm. And some do 50% of their quality threshold and 50% speed and some do 10% threshold and 40% speed. But like it's all inside of the same structure. It's just micro changes from group to group.
3: Yeah, yeah. Like, I gotta say one thing quickly because I think people are gonna say, oh they're gonna have all these stories like oh but so and so said they're now low volume and they have had more success and it's like when elite athletes come on like and say oh I'm really like low volume now and I've had more success like they were coming from such a high volume and then now they're perhaps low volume but still high volume and it's still more than you were probably doing um -hmm. and it's still so people just you can't just say people's perception of what low versus high is so skewed and they just like love to hear the pros say oh now the pros do low volume so now I'm going to do low volume and the pros have gone from not 80 miles let's say to 60 miles but these non-pros are like well I was at 40 and now I'm going to do 20 you're like no that's not how it works yeah
2: and and I do think that different people respond to training in different ways and that is the principle of individualization and that is important like like cookie cutter training is not the best absolutely not but the principles of training are consistent.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I, um, I want to pivot the conversation here. There's two things I want to make sure we still talk about <laughs> okay. before our time finishes. Um, and one is what we started this conversation with. Now, I've never, I, I've never spoken to somebody who's written a book on cross training for a runner. So this is uh, kind of an honor. I didn't know this was part of your, uh, your resume. And I'm a self-proclaimed, I feel like I can come off of injury in monster shape. And, I, and people use injury as an excuse not to perform well or why they haven't performed well. And I think a loss of fitness is merely due to a loss of focus when you're injured. Okay. So I want to kind of dive in a little bit to your secret sauce or a little more into your philosophy there. You know, you look at layers like there's so many modalities. I could hop on the rower or the assault bike or the bike, or I could do hiking, or I could do weight training, or I could be in the pool. I, I know there's a lot of directions you could go with this, but could you give me your philosophy on cross training through injury
2: sure if yeah. you want more detail read my document <laughs> um, <laughs> um but it's it depends on the injury i think you should never cross train through injury pain so the priority a is healing the injury and so if if you're if what you're doing is aggravating it don't do it if you can do weight bearing exercise like the elliptical that's better than biking because it's more sports specific you want to be as sport specific as possible. Um, I think a variety of modalities is best because then you won't train your body to be good at something that you actually don't really care about. <laughs> and chances are you'll be better at some than others. And so if if you're like pretty sure you're getting a good water on workout, but like, like maybe you're not, that's okay because you're really, really good at the elliptical. So that helps. Um, Polarizing is important. I think you can increase your volume a little bit since what you're doing is probably less, um, less intense and less pounding than running is, but I would not increase it by a ten. Like a lot of people are like, Oh, like five minutes on the bike is worth like two minutes running or like, I don't know, weird formulas like that. I don't believe in that. I think that, um, maybe add 15 minutes onto a session, that sort of thing. Um, often you'll need less rest between intervals because you recover a lot quicker and um yeah hard days hard easy days easy the fitter you are going into it the quicker you'll bounce back um when you're coming off of when you're transitioning into cross training build it up don't just throw yourself into it and when you're coming off of it into running transition out Um, and expect to feel like crap running at the beginning you're not used to it and that's okay and it'll come back pretty quick.
0: <laughs> yeah, it comes back in that what neuromuscular adaptation seems to happen in that first like 10 to 12, 12 days. days. Yeah. Yeah. And then you start to feel a lot better. That fitness all kicks in. It's amazing what two weeks post injury, if you've been cross-training, how much you can your fitness can pop.
2: Yeah.
1: We spoke about this at the beginning when we talked about this, but I do want to belabor this point. You're saying that we still polarize our training, even though we are cross-training.
2: Mm-hmm. I believe we should. I've seen Mm -hmm. better success doing that.
1: But just because we are breathing harder on a run or sweating more does not mean we have to equal that same amount of sweat on a bike or get our heart rate to the same level. Just because we're not pounding the ground, that doesn't give us permission to pound whatever we're doing that day? I don't think so. (laughs) Good. So I I want people to be very clear about that.
3: Yeah, I want to jump in there too. Um, This may come across a little bit harsh, but I'm going to say it anyways. I think that people who are totally like, I don't like polarizing or like, I don't polarize my training. If you actually do a hard session and actually do it hard, like actually hard, you cannot do another hard session the next day. Mm -hmm. Like if you can, your hard needs to be harder. Like you're just doing 70%. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, I've never, ever done like two Sometimes I have because, you know, uh, I've been stupid or um, or just training with my emotions and not my head. But I would never, ever do a hard session and be able to do another hard session the next day. And if I could, it was because I was making up because I totally um, like threw the towel in the the other day Mm -hmm. or didn't get as good of an effort as I should have. So I just think that if you're having a hard time polarizing... Uh, maybe go a little bit harder on those hard days and I can guarantee you'll want to jog the next day
2: Mm -hmm. yeah and the last thing you want is a cross training overuse injury
0: (laughs) what one question I have for you then with that so let's say you have a a race in a month that you still are hoping to run but you're out for a couple of weeks beforehand um and you have your training plan and you have it outlined and Tuesday is thousand meter repeats let's say and they take you roughly three minutes and yada yada you're doing eight reps Are you under the philosophy that then you should sort of duplicate that volume and type and energy system of work in a cross training modality and stick to the plan? Or do you go redraw a new plan? What what I'm saying is like, Mm. like if you know you're going to do some short spicy intervals and then some threshold work later in the week, you just try to simulate that in another modality or do you go back to the drawing board and restructure your plan?
2: I would redraw because I think with cross training, it's hard to get that top level intensity. Like the sprinting or the, the the very much speed work, that's really hard. It's really easy to get threshold type work or longer intervals, and so why not maximize that? The, the 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 sharpening the speed stuff, uh, you doesn't take that long to get those adaptations and that that training in. So I would prefer to keep that to running because for me anyway, like sprinting on a bike, it's actually it's not doing that much. I'll sprinkle it in, but. I wouldn't do three minutes hard with two minutes recovery or whatever you were gonna do as kilometer repeats because you won't work hard enough in that three minutes to warrant a two minute rest. I would restructure it to probably be eight by three minutes with one minute rest. And that's gonna give you a more sound workout.
0: I like that. I agree. Mm -hmm.
3: I do want to say, though, Jess has never been on an assault bike. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And, and the assault <laughs>
0: bike, I've been on it a lot lately. I can simulate heart rate on my assault bike that I could go out and simulate mile repeats. I can get there on my assault bike without question. I can't do it. I can't hold it for an hour because I can't stay mentally engaged for, like, threshold work. That's tough. But I've seen, I saw 191 on my assault bike two weeks ago. Nice. And you know what that felt like. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> So then that
1: brings the question that if, let's say, a salt bike, we can hit the heart rates we would be hitting during a mile or a 3K workout, is that as beneficial if if it's not the same plane of motion and the same muscles used, or is it better to back off the intensity and find something that is more sports specific when you are cross training?
2: That's why I like the mixture, because I don't think there's a good answer to that, because when you're working your heart rate, you're getting what's called a central adaptation. So you're working your, like, basically your circula- circulatory system, whereas you'll get peripheral adaptations with things that are more sport specific. So maybe your heart rate isn't as high. You're not getting as much of a training load with something that's more sport specific, but it almost becomes technique. So that's why I think a mixture is the best approach.
0: Why don't you tell people? um in your repertoire then what do you what do you filter through what are the modalities uh that you use mm-hmm. in cross training
2: i do the elliptical oh it depends on the injury but sure. if it's something that i can like load like normally with an achilles thing once i'm back to like loading and stuff uh, i'll go on the elliptical and water running are kind of my bread and butter i'll sometimes do long bike rides or bike intervals um I'll sometimes do the stair stepper and I'll sometimes do incline walking, either like huffing it up a mountain as a, like, it's called hiking, actually, um, or on a treadmill. OK, sorry, I just want to jump in there, too, because uh, Jesse's talking about, you know,
3: pure endurance training. Like when we're dealing with our obstacle course racers, we do do. We add the rower and the assault bike, but we're putting those not for long drawn out endurance sessions, more for that higher intensity. And we'll add some of the like compromised, not compromised run workout, but compromised workouts where you're using um, like a cardio equipment with a strength equipment. But we'll use those more on the rower and the assault bike. I just don't think long sessions on the assault bike and rower are like, those just to me just don't make sense. They make more uh, sense for more anaerobic um, style intervals. Mm
0: Yeah, my, my weekly setup has been since I'm on six weeks of no running, I found out I have a stress fracture in my foot.
2: I'm sorry. Uh,
0: my cue, would yeah, it, I knew it was kind of the situation, but it's uh, all my recovery is done on my bike outside and I'll go and put time in. And then when it's time to get to work, it's on the assault bike or the rower filling my quality stuff seems to be a nice mix for mm-hmm.
2: me. Yeah, and a lot yeah. of it is is individual. Like I don't swim because I can't swim. But if I was a swimmer, I'd probably do more swimming. And yeah. I'm not, I'm not crazy about biking because I don't have clipping pedals and it intimidates me. So it's not the best for me. But a lot of the athletes we coach love biking. We, and FaZe had a lot of success on the bike with um like building her climbing legs. So it it does depend on your history.
1: So I know you talked about this a little redundant, but what is your mm-hmm. hierarchy of most run specific non-impact to least run specific?
2: I'm a big fan of the elliptical with um, arms that move, and sometimes okay. I'll hold the arms, and sometimes I'll um, like just sort of pump my arms by my side. Um, but I'll set—I only like pre-core ellipticals because I'll set the incline to like zero or two percent or levels or whatever, rather than like the bouncing stride. I am not a huge fan of that. Um, water running would be my other favorite, mm. and then I'd probably go bike. I like incline walking, but it's just a little bit logistically hard sometimes. Mm. Um, then.
1: And then after that, it kind of falls in.
2: Yeah,
3: you really got to you really got to separate. Are you talking about running up a mountain? Are you talking about pavement? Yeah. Because I had zero success um, bike training, and to my road times, zero success. But I've had tremendous success biking onto my mountain running times. Mm -hmm. So you got to separate those two and figure out what type of terrain are you going to be racing on next? Because that I think plays a huge role.
0: That's a really good point. That is a great point. Yeah. Uh, this is part of my question then too, as far as cross training and then your general philosophy before I get to the last thing I want to touch on is, uh, the strength training component at your level, when it comes to high level endurance sports running, particularly running fast in Mm -hmm. particular, do you find that strength work has its place in your program? Mm
2: -hmm. Yep. I think any runner could benefit from strength because I mean, the obvious, benefits are it makes you stronger (laughs) which Mm -hmm. will improve your power and improve your running a little bit um it makes you more durable it things like my strength looks very different than phase strength because i don't need to be a big muscle woman (laughs) but i need to be very very stable and i need to load properly so my strength has a lot of glute activation it has a lot of single leg stability and whatnot which is what we give a, a lot of our athletes because they ultimately are runners who are doing obstacle stuff so we get them strong enough to do the obstacles but also it's quite run specific um every athlete at my level is in the the gym a couple times a week
0: they are okay so Mm -hmm. when you're in high training volume mode and and then starting to get race specific let's just even say like uh you're in the midst of racing season Mm -hmm. let's say you're a month out from a big race you're in the gym a couple of times a week and Mm -hmm. And what it and your focus is mostly on stability, single leg movements. Do you do any core upper body work at that level? What is what are some of the things you're running through as um, far as exercises go?
2: I don't do any upper body. I do a lot of T spine mobility, so which I guess would be upper body. But yeah. everything I do is to make myself a more efficient runner. So thing like things that will help weight transfer, T spine mobility. Um, Can you
0: tell people what that is? Can you explain? <laughs> sure. So
2: if you're if your back is really really stiff um, then you have no mobility through it. And that means that your arms can't swing like fluidly. And it means that force then transfers rather than through your back and your arm swing, it'll go through like your low back and then it's sent into your hips and whatnot. So it's just a less efficient being, being very, very stiff is a less efficient way to run.
3: Okay. Um,
2: and you can see that if you watch like a really elite track and field race, everyone just looks so fluid. They look, they're just moving so, so nicely. Whereas if you look at, I don't know, if you look at yourself, if I look at myself or um, mini runners on the pathways and stuff, it's like their upper body is a brick and their arms are just moving and that's much less efficient.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, Above that, I'll do like right, right leading into a race. I'll do a couple of power activities. So maybe some box jumps or some like weighted step ups with like a power component and whatnot. But at the end of the day, and especially with, with racing comes traveling and with traveling for me comes like being very like poor postured and like cooped up like a ball and that's not great for mobility or for glute activation so a lot of it's almost maintenance mode like just making sure my glutes are firing i'm stable i'm mobile i'm ready to run
0: okay cool i was just curious there how much of a component that was to to your process Mm -hmm. um because it's it's left out by a lot of pure runners Mm-hmm. And, and I think they're missing, they're missing a valuable component of their training there. So. I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I only have one thing left and it sounds a bit self-serving,
1: but we are mm-hmm. four coaches on a coaching podcast
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I've received a decent amount of emails since this season cancellation asking, is this the right time or the wrong time to start up something new? Mm-hmm. So, you know, ball's yours. Why is it or isn't it important to seek out outside help to structure your training at a time like this in history?
2: Well, I think a reoccurring theme is that people are feeling really lost. And having structured coaching gives you structure, it gives you purpose, it gives you that routine, which can be really, really hard to make on your own when you're not, when you don't know how and you're not sure why you're training or what you're training for, we can do that for you. And that's, I mean, I work with a coach, I work with m- multiple coaches. And I would never self coach because I like giving someone else that responsibility. And as we've already talked about, like there is a lot of opportunity and, and a lot of chance to grab some lower hanging fruits and do things in training that you can't do during racing. And once racing starts again, that opportunity will disappear or be more difficult. So like we've said, like there are so many components to fitness that are successful. And so it doesn't just have to be racing and it can be the things you work on now can improve your racing. They're not mutually exclusive. So you can work towards better races and work towards gaps and and reach new goals and whatnot in the short term while you're waiting for the normal goals to return. So if, if you think that this is something that will, you're interested in, I don't think that there's a reason to wait by any means. I don't think any training time is wasted.
0: I can't argue with that. I think mm-hmm. it's a little funny, you know, Faye, if you, Faye, if you had to say who your coach was, would you say Jess is your coach or would you say yourself? Yeah. Coach?
3: Yeah. So I do exactly what grit coaching does. So Jessica does my running and I do <laughs> my own strength.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And Jess, you, you have a coach, correct? You mm-hmm. just said you have a coach, although you're a coach yourself. Yeah. I would consider Brack, and I would consider both of us each other's coaches, at <laughs> least sounding boards, where <laughs> yeah. like, we find the value in having coaches. And, and I, I think for some reason, sometimes people don't find the value, especially in a time like this. And I've already mentioned this and I have no shame in saying that almost now, as you mentioned, Jess, people are a little cloudy on what the heck they should be doing. Mm-hmm. And now you may argue structure would probably be more desired even Mm -hmm. now than than ever um that's my philosophy right now is that that people could use a little bit more guidance in sort of these cloudy times Mm -hmm. and i think
2: most people once they start working with a coach again maybe there's some bias here but they're like oh no i i very much enjoy this (laughs) and Mm -hmm. so there 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 is a lot to be said for having someone else make those training decisions for you
0: yeah Yeah. Yeah. and and then I actually wanted, this is the one last thing I wanted to touch on too, Bracken. So you just beat me to the punch with coaching and all of that. But could you just tell us um, real quick what you guys have going on over at Grit Coaching?
3: Yeah. If so uh, may take it away. <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah. So um, just a quick sto- Yeah. i not going to tell the whole story of how we got a business together, but it's obvious. I was like, oh my God, no one understands that obstacle course racing is actually running with inconveniences in the way of a run. Um, So I need the best runner, who also is the smartest person I know, which was Jess, because she, you know, beats me in running, and then also took a step up on my education and decided to get her master's in exercise phys. So I was like, all right, fine, I'll go to Jessica and uh, see if she wants to start this business. So we just started our coaching business in 2017, and the whole principle is we... You know, we got so annoyed, like coaches, like have a strength coach and they have a run coach, but they don't work together. So you're like, oh, I'm sorry. My mile repeats were so slow because my strength coach had me doing max deadlifts the day before. And that like really annoyed me as an athlete for years. So I was like, we got to work together as a team or we got to integrate our programming. You take care of the strength or the running. I take care of the strength. But we talk together and we decide what program actually at the end goes out. Because I think it's so valuable in anything you do to have a second eye on um, something you're doing. So, um, yeah, that's our coaching business. Um, Don't have anything else really to say about it, Jess. Our other
2: philosophy, I guess, is that you should, each day should have an objective, whether it's recovery or whether it's running or whether it's strength. So. We sometimes do some compromised running, but not all the time. We also like to separate strength from running. So people aren't in the weight room five or six days a week with us. Um, they have dedicated strength days, dedicated run days, so that everything complements everything. Like it's a very holistic program that's really important to us.
1: I like that. It's a good elevator pitch. <laughs> yeah. Got the smartest, fastest person you know combined with someone who's been in OCR for a
0: long time and knows her stuff. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's, a lot. Of, it seems like everybody's a coach these days, doesn't mm-hmm. it, guys? Like you just feel like yeah. everybody's a coach. You can buy a plan for twenty-five bucks a month from somebody just starting out who really you're their guinea pig. And so I, I just know what you guys are doing, and I paid attention. And again, there's a lot of coaches you could you could turn to, and and I consider Bracken and myself two of the good ones, and I consider you two two of the good ones as well. Like you guys put together sound, comprehensive plans, and so I just you know. I, I feel like I have a general idea and understanding of coaching and training. So I know enough to know that like you guys are onto something good. So just wanted to give you the the tip of the hat there.
3: Thank you. Mm-hmm. And, and right back, um, right back to you guys, I can honestly say to any of our athletes, if they were like, Hey, Faye, we don't want to be coached by great coaching anymore. I don't know. We don't like you and Jess, whatever. It's not working. <laughs> who would, who are we? We would definitely recommend them to you guys to go to Bracken or Kirk. Yeah, How many times
0: talking. have you heard that we don't like you and grid coaching? We want to go. I can't imagine
3: that's a comment. <laughs> very awkward
2: conversation.
1: We need more of a man's touch in our training. Yeah.
3: <laughs> you can't not like Canadians, so that may never happen, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Both of our states, both of our states touch the Canada border, so we're yeah, as close. As
3: good. As
1: we <laughs> Your state doesn't touch the Canadian border? Yes, it does. Our waters do, Kirk. Wisconsin, that's not the same. My actual border of Minnesota touches Canada. As long as we're passing compliments back and forth. Jess, I have disparaged professional runners as coaches several times. Oh, no. Not the idea of it, but just the fact that being a professional runner is in no way, shape, or form a guarantee of being a good coach. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the studs never had to think for a day in their life about why they're a stud. Mm-hmm. They're just genetic freaks and they roll out of bed and they do what they were born to do. And so you help break that, uh, that ceiling there. You're an example of a professional runner who also is a truly professional coach. And that speaks to your cerebral approach to the game.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I, I amounted to the injuries because I'm always crawling back and I know what it's like to work yeah. hard. So it's not just been gifted to me.
1: And, and that leads me into how I want to finish this.
0: Quick, where can people find you guys, um, learn more about your coaching, what you do? I guess we should throw that in there real quick.
2: Yeah, sure. Gritcoaching.net.
1: We've been talking a lot about do um, the pros do things that we don't? And what is their mindset? What is, what, how do they approach their day-to-day business? So leave the people with what is the one thing you believe the every man and every woman needs to start doing that is something that is typically only seen by the high-level committed professional.
2: Ah, uh, you should have prepped me with this question. <laughs> one thing—that's it. Um, yeah, just choose one. I think I think showing up for the hard workouts and relaxing on the the easy ones, and believing that training gains come from recovery—they don't—they come from recovering from the hard work, not from the hard work itself. And recovery can be sleep which is the best way to recover. (laughs) It can be good nutrition, it can be taking easy runs easy, it can be whatever, but don't train on emotion, train smart, not
1: hard. I'm just gonna insert the music right here. There's nothing else to be said. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on lady.
2: Thanks guys. Thank you.
1: All right, that's it.